In a moment or two, I'll ask you to stand as we read the scripture. But we have been three weeks now coming to this day. Where have we arrived, you say? Well, at the beginning again. Um, Irene's daddy, I heard say several times in church, when he ran into somebody he thought he should have known and didn't know, he says, my forgetter has gotten so good that my mind doesn't amount to much. I think some of us have been there from time to time. I know I have. Um, so that's one reason for going back to James. When you go back through scripture, I, my finding is, I find something I didn't see there before. I hear something that I didn't, or there's a new perspective about what I remembered, but it wasn't a perspective I'd tripped over before. So there's value in going back. Yes. Will you stand reverently as we read from James 3? And I turn my Bible right side up. First, let's go back to verse 26 of James 1. As a reminder why we're here, of what we're talking about. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, starting with James 3, verse 2. We all stumble, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father. And with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. The word of the Lord, and thank you for your attention.
Thanks, Gail. Well, the reason we're spending as much time on this as we are is because of the James 1.26, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. We can easily, you know, we can have a lot of our behavioral ducks in a row. We can look really good to folks, but our mouth can blow our Christian witness just like that. And James indicates that, boy, this thing in our mouths is really tough to control. So this is our third Sunday in dealing with this passage of Scripture. I want to begin again this morning with some words of wisdom that are not Scripture, but they're still very true. Someone has said, it isn't the things that go in one ear and out the other that hurt us as much as the things that go in one ear get all mixed up and then slip out of the mouth. Nothing makes a long story short like the arrival of the person you happen to be talking about. If your mind should go blank, don't forget to turn off the sound. If nobody ever said anything unless he knew what he was talking about, a ghastly hush would descend upon the earth. No man would listen to you talk if he didn't know it was his turn next. A closed mouth gathers no feet. For good or ill, your conversation is your advertisement. Every time you open your mouth, you let men look into your mind. Abraham Lincoln said, It is better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So we're going to try again today to ride the bronc that's never been ridden. We're climbing back into the cage of that wild beast, the untamable tongue. Um, James, in this passage, as we've gone through the last couple of weeks, compares the tongue to a number of things. He compares it to a bit in an animal's mouth, small but controlling. He, com he compares it to a rudder on the ship. There's this big ship, but this rudder has extreme influence as to where that ship will go. He talks about it being a fire, dangerously destructive, like a wild animal that's uncontrollable. He talks about it being like a spring. It's either sweet or bitter. He talks about it like a fruit. It's either one kind of fruit or another kind of fruit. A number of years ago, Charles Osgood, do you remember Charles Osgood on the news? He was a CBS newsman who reported the demolition of a Denver landmark. In two moving sentences, he said, for 75 years, the Cosmo Cosmopolitan has been a leading hotel in Denver. It was demolished in eight seconds. Someone asked what he was thinking when he spoke these words, and Osgood replied, Construction is a tedious process. Destruction is, an instant, is instantaneous. I wasn't just talking about buildings. I was talking about reputations, 
How someone can work all of his life constructing what he believes is a work of art or a lifetime of political activity or whatever a person does, I think it's much easier to be destructive than constructive. And so goes the mouth often. Listen, if words are important in the general population, as Charles Osgood was referring to, then they are doubly important for Christ followers. We can quickly ruin our Christian witness by the things that come out of our mouths. And so just a, a, a quick review from some of the things I shared with you last Sunday. We will never make progress in the control of our tongues unless we determine that we want to control what comes out of our mouths. We have to make a decision about that first of all. We have to care. We have to be concerned. Once we make that decision, we need uh, to understand three important truths. Again, this is from last week's sermon. Number one, we have no power in and of ourselves to tame our tongue. Number two, our words are an outward reflection of an inward reality. Number three, the issue is the heart. We must fix the inside to fix the outside. So how do we do that? Well, we asked ourselves four questions. Number one, am I honest with myself about my mouth? Number two, am I walking with God? Number three, am I thinking before speaking? Number four, am I accountable to others for the things that I say? Folks, control of the tongue is a mark of spiritual maturity. Proverbs 10.19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 13.3, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. And Proverbs 21.23, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. The story is told uh, about a woman who had a very serious throat condition. The doctor told her that her vocal cords needed total rest. She was forbidden to talk for six months. Why are we laughing? <laughs> With a husband and six kids, this seemed impossible, but she did what she was told. When she needed the kids, she blew a whistle. When she needed to communicate, she wrote things on pads of paper. After six months, her voice came back. When asked what it was like to communicate only in writing, she said this. You'd be surprised how many notes I crumpled up and threw into the trash before I gave them to anyone. Seeing my words before anyone heard them had an effect that I don't think I can ever forget. So, we need to talk this morning about mouth problems. Now, James talks about these in general terms. We're going to talk about them in more specific terms today. Because there are other scriptures that talk about specific issues with the mouth. And I'm going to share some of those with you. First of all, under the category of, let's call it, unwholesome talk. Unwholesome talk. Ephesians 4.29 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then Paul goes on in Ephesians 5.4 to give us some specifics regarding what unwholesome talk means. Paul, speaking here of being imitators of God, says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And then in Colossians 3.8, he says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slang, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Now, you think about anger, rage, malice, those, those things can be vocalized as well, can't they? And we know that slander and filthy language are certainly talking about the words that come out of our mouth. So let's, let's put that into terms here that, that we might relate to. First of all, profanity. It's a, a, profanity is considered a verbal defiling of that which is holy, in the eyes of God. Um, we don't always view things as holy that God views as holy. Amen? Obscenity. That which incites to lust or depravity. That which incites to lust or depravity. Foolish talk. This word in Greek does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. And it is, in the Greek, it, it speaks of talk that is senseless or stupid. Guilty. Coarse joking. Jokes that are seasoned with sensuality. Obscene illusions. Immorality. And I hope I pronounce this right, because this is... Well, let, the, the definition of what... It's double entendres. Do you know what that is? I know we're kind of... A double entendre is a word or phrase open to two interpretations, one of which is usually risque or indecent. Slander. The Greek word here is blasphemia, and it means speech injurious to another's good name. And then filthy language. Well, a lot of things fit under this category. We might call it swearing or cussing or vulgar language or even sexual innuendo. One pastor writes this. He says, if you still, your, still use your tongue to curse and swear, you have a serious problem. It means that your, stung, your tongue is still glued to the chain of the enemy. What kind of witness are we if we talk like that? Let's look at it this way. If I have a cup that is filled with coffee and I bump it, what should come out of it? Coffee, right? If we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we get bumped, what should come out? We can't have a potty mouth and expect to effectively witness. Unfortunately, potty mouths, as he describes it, are acceptable in many circles of our culture. But I'll tell you, that it does not endure you to God. Um, 
When we lived in Eastern Oregon, I officiated high school soccer. Well, I wasn't that bad. I had some people that thought I was. Um, but I remember one time, um, normally in soccer you have uh, two linesmen and then one official that works the field. But we were short of two linesmen, so we worked a two-man system. So basically, I worked one half and the other official worked the other half. And I, something happened down at the far end of the field where the other official was. I don't remember what it was. But one of the players standing in close proximity, let out a, he saw something down there, let out a string of profanity, and I yellow-carded him. Do you know what yellow-card is? Okay, it's a warning. He, he had to leave the field for a time. He could, and he was astounded. What did I do? He, to him, there was nothing wrong with that string of profanity. They came out of his mouth. You know, uh, there are just certain words that um, are used very often in our culture that I I hate them. Uh, There's one particular word that is used in so many contexts, I just can't believe it. And it begins with F. It's an adjective, it's an adverb, it's a noun, it's a verb, it's a it's the subject, it's the predicate, you name it. Verbal vomit. That's what it is. And unfortunately, sometimes we're kind of tempted to walk the edge on this one, aren't we? To just kind of step over the line just a little bit. Maybe the joke we tell, maybe some things we say about somebody else in the interest of prayer for them. You know what I'm talking about. Unwholesome talk. The next issue here is criticism and grumbling. And I'm going to start with grumbling. A grumbler is one who is discontent. They tend to be a complainer. In fact, I don't know if there's any real difference between grumbling and complaining. They're, they might as well, they're synonyms of one another as far as I'm concerned. Here's some examples. And someone has said, for all the money spent on vacations, is it too much to expect perfection? These travelers didn't think so. Here's a taste of what they told their travel agents. These were international travelers, I think. On my holiday to India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food at all. A guest at Novotel in Australia complained that his soup was too thick. He was inadvertently slurping gravy. (laughs) Following a trip to a national theme park, one angry woman complained that the sun was so hot that it melted her ice cream. (laughs) 
That's a tragedy. An air traveler voiced her disapproval of all the clouds in the sky, saying that her, it ruined her children's game of I Spy. So there you go. I will tell you this. God does not like grumbling and complaining. Let me share, you some, let me share with you some scriptures. This is from Numbers chapter 14, verses... 27 through 30. This is God speaking. How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness your bodies will fall Every one of you 20 years of old or more who was counted in the sentence and who has grumbled against me, thus these things will happen to you. None of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb and Joshua. Jude 16, speaking of godless men. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. I think it was ungodly. And all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. James 5, 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. God doesn't appreciate grumbling and complaining. I think he's pretty gracious and merciful when it comes to those things. How often have you said, or have I said, Oh God, why me? And I have to catch myself. I have one thing that I grumble about a lot. That's why I don't drive to Denver more often than I do. (laughs) You all know what I'm talking about. Criticism. This is fault finding. It's not, we're not talking about constructive criticism here. We're talking about the kind that is fault finding. It tends to issue from a critical spirit. General Robert E. Lee was once asked what he thought of a fellow officer in the Confederate Army, an officer who had made some mean-spirited remarks about him. Lee thought for a moment, then rated him as being very satisfactory. The person who asked the question seemed troubled, but General, I guess you don't know what he's been saying about you. Oh, yes, answered Lee, I know. But I was asked about my opinion about, about him, not his opinion about me. 
From U.S. News and World Report a number of years ago, one study found that newlyweds who ended up staying married would only make five critical comments out of 100 about each other. Among those who later divorced, 10 of every 100 remarks was a put down. By the time 10 years of marriage had rolled by, the pairs who were headed for divorce were insulting each other five times more often than the other couples. For a marriage to survive, husbands and wives should learn to keep their negativity under control, to use words to keep conflict manageable. And then from, this was an article from Holiness Today. Have you noticed how quickly disappointment spreads within a congregation? Criticism, or grumbling for that matter. This is the 11155 principle, according to author Philip R. Stout. On average, he says, someone who's disgruntled about something shares it with 11 other people, who in turn share it with five others. Eventually, 55 people become disgruntled, all because of one disgruntled person. So I guess you could call this the power of negative talking. But do the math. Double the number of disgruntled persons from one to two, and their critical mass is multiplied. Two disappointed, unhappy, miserable persons within a congregation can create 110 or more disappointed, disgruntled, unhappy people about the size of a medium-sized church, what we would call a medium-sized church. Criticism and grumbling. Well, the next thing that's indicative of unwholesome talk is gossip. When Julie was in college, she was uh, in a singing group called the Northwesterners. It was kind of this select group. I think there were 12 or 16 of you. I remember, I used to, you know, because I kind of liked a girl that was in the group, I used to go to their concerts. And they sang a song. Some of these songs have stuck in my brain over the years. I think it was intended to be kind of a, kind of have, kind of have a Caribbean flair to it. And it said this, Gossip, gossip, evil ting. Must much unhappiness it bring. If you can't say something nice, don't talk at all is my advice. Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 29, Proverbs has a lot to say about what comes out of our mouths, doesn't it? Proverbs 20.19 A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. A man who talks too much. (laughs) Second Corinthians twelve twenty. For I am afraid, Paul says, that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, factions, slander, gossip, 
arrogance and disorder. And think about how many things in those, that list are things that come out of the mouth. You've got a mouth problem. A definition of gossip. Information that may or may not be true, but that is nobody's business but the person the rumor is about. Information that may or may not be true, but that is nobody's business but the person the rumor is about. So here's a good question to ask yourself. How would you feel about what you said if the sub- subject of the conversation discovered what you said? How would you feel about what you said if the subject of the conversation discovered what you said? We should be gossip stoppers, never gossip starters or perpetuators. And there was a resounding (laughs) boasting, boasting. Psalm 12, verse 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4. Help, Lord, for the godly are no more. The faithful have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off flattering lips and every boastful tongue that says, we will triumph with our tongues. We own our lips. Who is our master? Psalm 52, verses 1 through 4. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word. Oh, you deceitful tongue. And then 1 John 2.16. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does come not from the Father, but from the world. To boast is to, number one, to boast is to speak of or assert with excessive pride. Have you guys seen my spider? Uh, that's a machine, by the way. <laughs> I don't have a pet tarantula at my house or anything. Although, oh, never mind. To boast is to possess and often call attention to something that is a source of pride. Have you guys seen my spider? <laughs> God is intolerant of boasting because it is prideful and we have nothing to boast about. We have nothing to boast about. That's what the scripture tells us. Second Corinthians 10:17, Paul says, "But let him who boasts boast in the Lord." I like that's I like that song. How great is our God. That's boasting about God. Galatians 6:14. Paul says, "May I never boast." 
except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We call it bragging, too. Nobody likes a braggart. Talking about how great they are, how good they are, how good the, the junk that they have to take care of is. Anyway, lying. Lying. Mark Twain said, the main difference between a cat and a lie is that a cat only has nine lives. He also said, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Someone said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. And in Leviticus 19, verse 11, we're told, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. In Psalm 34, verses 12 and 13, it says, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. And Paul writes in Colossians 9, verses 9 and 10, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its Creator. God is truth. God loves truth. Therefore, his followers need to be people of truth. Not only the truth of the word, but the truth that comes out of our mouths. Make sure that we speak the truth in love. For it can be damaging if we do not. See, when we lie, we speak the language of Satan. For the scripture tells us that he is a liar and the father of lies. It is his native language. I speak German, you speak French, he speaks Spanish, Satan speaks lies. When we lie, we speak the language of Satan. And folks, trust and credibility issues arise when lies are told. Bishop Warren A. Candler was preaching about the lies of Ananias and Sapphira and asked the congregation, if God still struck people dead for lying, where would I be? The congregation snickered a bit. But the smiles disappeared when the bishop shouted, I'd be right here preaching to an empty church. That was the bishop, not me. Remember that. So, how do we solve these problems of the mouth? Well, remember, it's the work of the Holy Spirit, first of all. And I gave you some clues already earlier on. But we, we need to use uh, an acronym, THINK. Five questions before you speak, that you, and, and I think it's on your outline. Number one, is it true? Remember this rule about gossip. The more interesting it is, the more likely it is to be false. Is it true? Number two, is it helpful? Will your words bring about a solution or will they cause a problem? 
Is it helpful? Number three, is it inspiring? Will your words build someone up or have the opposite effect? Number four, is it necessary? Do we have to say anything at all? Silence is golden sometimes, huh? Number five, is it kind? Are your words truly based on a desire to help? And remember, folks, a tongue problem is a heart problem. We must fix the inside before we can fix the outside. And one thing that can help us to fix the inside is the truth of God's word hidden in our hearts. Amen? So, I think, is there a list there for you of, uh, I'll read them for you. You can look them up at your leisure in the, in the version that you prefer. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Romans 12.2, and this is a more contemporary version. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that will affect what comes out of your mouth. Matthew 12, 33-37 Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers! How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man, evil things, out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the judgment day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Who? For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Matthew 15, verses 18 through the first part of verse 20. But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. Luke 6:45. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Colossians 4.6 Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Psalm 17.3 Though you probe my heart and examine me at night, though you test me, you will find nothing. I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. Psalm 141, verse 3 This is a great prayer. I've prayed it many times. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Psalm 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God help me get this thing under control. Because it has such an impact on those around me. And on such an impact on my witness for Jesus. I might have control of everything else, but if I can't control this thing, I'm in trouble. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I would guess there is not one of us here today who could say, oh, I never have an issue with what comes out of my mouth. Which means that we probably all have an issue with what comes out of our mouth sometimes. Maybe more often than we wish. And Lord God, we cannot control this untamable beast. Only you can do that. It's the work of your spirit within us. We have to recognize, first of all, that we need help. That this is an issue. And I want to do better. I want what comes out of my mouth to be the right thing, the helpful thing, the encouraging thing, the pleasing thing, the truthful thing, the gracious thing, the kind thing, the God-pleasing thing. And so, Father, we confess to you that we do have trouble with our mouths. We ask for your help. Lord, we want the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouths to be pleasing to you. And if they are, we know that they will have the right impact on the people in the world where we live. Thank you, Father, for so much of Scripture that speaks to the words of our mouths. You knew it would be a problem for us. But we know that with your help, with the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord, the things that come out of our mouths can be the right things, always. So again, Father, we say, we want the words of our mouths to be right, to be pleasing to you. And we trust the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, because we know it's a sign of spiritual maturity. We know it impacts our Christian witness. We want the words of our mouths to be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. And we pray these things today in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.